Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. The following sermon was preached on June 25th, 2023, on the basis of 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 to 18. Our sermon text comes from 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, the first 18 verses. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush sat under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi over Israel, and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. This is God's word. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, if, you've, if you've been on social media before, if you're on social media now, if you know a little bit about it, uh, you've maybe heard it called uh, or referred to as, as someone's highlight reel. Uh, if you were to look through somebody's posts, it doesn't really matter what, what social media source you're on. If you're, 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 you're to look through those posts, you're likely to find pictures from, uh, from family vacations, from engagements, weddings, anniversaries, birthdays, births, uh, from 
specific accomplishments, th things like that, right? Now, on those pages, you're not likely to find uh, tragedies, letdowns, failures. Those are not things that people generally want to make public. There's exceptions, right? But by and large, uh, people like to keep those things to themselves. They like to reveal to the world what they would consider successes, things that make them look good, so they, they stick to the, the highlights. Uh, maybe this will surprise you, maybe it won't, but uh, that's not just a social media thing. Uh, that's a thing as old as time itself. If you were to, to read back through some of the, the ancient historians who recorded different things for the Egyptians, say, or for the, the kingdom of Assyria, or kingdoms like that, a lot of times the things they leave out were the defeats, were, were the things that made the kingdom look bad. If you were a historian in that day, you wrote those things out of history, or, or you kind of didn't write much about them because you wanted your kingdom to look good. You didn't want to, to reflect poorly on your kingdom. Which is what makes the Bible so incredibly unique. Because you have good and you have bad. You have people doing things that, that are really good and faithful to God, and then uh, the next moment they're, they're doing something that's incredibly wicked or against God's command. And that's real life. The Bible resembles what is real life because the Bible is telling you what is, what is real. So, for example, you, you get a guy like Abraham, great hero of the Bible. Abraham, who at God's promise moved himself across the known world at that time just because God gave him a promise. Or Abraham, who was willing to put to death his one and only son just because God told him to do it. He was that faithful. You see that Abraham, that hero, but if you read through the whole story, you're also going to see two different occasions where he's in Egypt and he's scared, so he lies about his wife, Sarah. Or you're going to see that, that he slept with his, his servant, Hagar, and had a baby with her. And so what you have is not this unreachable, pristine, perfect hero of the Bible. You have this extremely relatable, deeply flawed human being. And the same is true throughout Scripture. You don't just get Elijah on Mount Carmel. You get Elijah under the broom bush. You get Elijah on Mount Horeb. You don't just get Elijah courageously standing up against King Ahab. You get Elijah scared for his life, running away, sitting under the broom bush, asking God to end it all for him. Now, maybe uh, before we, we jump into that, that part, we should remind ourselves all the things that Elijah has been through in the last three years, because a lot has happened for him in the last three years to bring him to that point. He, he went through three years of drought. No rain. No rain fell on that land for three years because God was, was carrying out this punishment on, on that land for worshiping false gods. So three years, no rain. Elijah lived through that. During those three years, uh, King Ahab was relentlessly searching for Elijah and trying to kill him. And he also killed, successfully killed, most if not all of Elijah's co-workers, his, the prophets. And that all led up to this dramatic scene on Mount Carmel that we had last week where, where God, uh, in, in this amazing, powerful fashion, opened the heavens, sent fire from the heavens, lit this altar and sacrifice on fire and proved to everybody who was standing there watching that he is the one true God. 
It was a great moment of victory. And in Elijah's mind, after all that he had been through in the last three years, he had to think, this is a turning point. This is going to be a, a turning point, right? Certainly, no one would, would dare deny the one true God now after seeing all of, of that happen. And there's actually some, some evidence from the text that that's exactly what Elijah thought. Last time, uh, the, the very last section of, of what we read from last time, God sent rain on the land for the first time in three years. And right before he sent the rain, uh, Elijah went and told Ahab, and then he ran ahead of the chariot to Jezreel. Now, that's a pretty important, significant uh, uh, piece of information there, because Jezreel was where Ahab and Jezebel lived. It was kind of the acting capital city at that time of the northern kingdom. So why would a guy who has been hunted for three years, who was a marked man, why would he go to the, the hometown of the people who were hunting him? <laughs> why would he go to the capital city? Well, it's pretty obvious, right? He, he thought that things were going to change. He thought that because of that powerful sh display on Mount Carmel, that, that perhaps Jezebel and Ahab will be led to repentance in all of Israel with them. The beginning of our text kind of says that didn't happen. I'm going to read it one more time. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. That's an oath, oath formula there. She's making an oath. She's saying, um, may God deal with me severely if this doesn't happen. Right? I I'm vowing that I'm going to take Elijah down here. N nothing had changed. Ahab and Jezebel's hearts were not moved to repentance. They just further hardened their hearts. They further rejected God. And at this point, Elijah's kind of out of moves. He has nothing left in his plans. Now he's just scared. He's afraid. And so he, he takes off from Jezreel, which was in the north, to, to Beersheba, which was in the south, in, in Judah. And we see a despondent Elijah sitting under this broom bush, just asking God to end it all for him. Maybe you've been in that headspace before. Maybe you've been in Elijah's headspace before. Statistically speaking, the group here today, that, that, that is true. Maybe you've been somewhat close to that headspace. But, but if you've ever felt even remotely like Elijah's feeling right now, what did you need? Think back to that time. What, what did you need? And, and the, the people in your life that knew that you were kind of going through it, how did they offer to help? What did they say to, to help you? And, and did it help or did it hurt? You know, someone once said that you can tell a lot about somebody. You can tell a lot about their worldview. You can tell a lot about the lens through which they see life by how they treat a depressed person. Here's an example. Um, if you see life primarily through the lens of science, that, that's the primary lens through which you see life, well, well then depression or despondency, it, it's just, just a, a chemical imbalance in the brain that can be solved with the right concoction of, of pills. Or if you see life through, the, through a hyper-moralistic lens, 
well then, you believe that, that depression and despondency is a result of a bunch of bad moral decisions. And so if somebody just starts making a series of correct moral decisions in their life, well then their life will get better. If you see life through the lens of, of psychology, well then for the depressed or despondent person, they, they'll just, they just need to talk it through. If they talk enough, they're, they're going to work things out. You can tell a lot about a person and how they see life and what's important to them by how they treat a depressed person. And the same holds true for God. You can tell a lot about God by how God treats a depressed, despondent Elijah. What does he do for Elijah first? He gets him some food, right? He, he, Elijah falls asleep, and then when he wakes up, an angel is there, and it has baked some bread for him and has some water for him. And he, he eats some, and he lays down, and then the angel has to wake him up again and, and so he can eat some, some more. You see, God knows. In all of God's wisdom, in all of God's love, he knows that Elijah is a physical being that has physical needs. <laughs> he knows that, that Elijah's mind and body need rest. He knows that Elijah's body needs food and water. He knows all of Elijah's physical needs, and God, in his own way, in, in kind of a supernatural way here, supplies it for Elijah. Then he, he listens. That's the next thing that, that God does. Twice he comes to Elijah and he says, What are you doing here, Elijah? It's funny when God asks questions, isn't it? Because he already knows the answer to those questions. He knows your heart better than you know your heart. He knew, he knew why Elijah was doing what he was doing better than Elijah knew. But he asks. He asks for the benefit of Elijah. And what does God do? He listens. He listens. Because God knows that Elijah is a psychological being. He knows that Elijah needs to vent and he needs to talk and he needs to get these things out. And, and what does God do? He listens. And finally, he whispers. He whispers. He knows that Elijah is spiritually empty. He knows that Elijah has been faithful to him. And that Elijah feels like he hasn't received the benefit from that. He feels like he hasn't gotten much from that. And so what does, what does God do? He, he doesn't chastise Elijah for being ungrateful he comes to him in a gentle whisper. Speaks to him. Gently. Because he knows that, that Elijah's a spiritual being. And he knows that, that Elijah needs spiritual nourishment and encouragement. And God knows exactly how to give him those things. God's wisdom and God's love in applying that, that wisdom goes far beyond our understanding. He knows how to deal with every specific situation. He knows how to deal with every specific individual because guess what? I guess this shouldn't be surprising, right? He knows those who he has formed and created. He created you. He knows you. He knows how you work. He, he knows what's unique about you and he knows how to, to, take, to take care of you too. He knows that you're a physical being. He knows that you're a psychological being. He knows that you're a spiritual being. He knows that you're all of those things and more. That, that just scratches the surface, right? We are the ones that try to reduce things down. We are the ones who try to see life through, through one specific lens, but God doesn't do that. He knows that there's all those aspects to you and he treats the whole person 
He treats the whole of Elijah, and he does the same for you. He knows exactly what you need, physical and spiritual, all the time. And he knows how to care for you properly. I want to make sure that we, we do talk about the, the, the wind and the fire and the earthquake, though. We, we kind of brush by that somewhat quickly. So let's go back there. Uh, Elijah was in Beersheba, and he traveled all the way down to Mount Horeb. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know how well you can see this here, but here's Beersheba, and here's Mount, what is Mount Horeb, or equivalent to today. Uh, that's about... 250 miles, about a 12-day journey. It took Elijah 40 days. Maybe kind of shows you a little bit about where he was at strength-wise, where he was at head-wise. He, he maybe didn't 100% know where he was going or why he was, was going there. He just knew he was going, but it took him 40 days to, to make that, that journey all the way south here to the Sinai Peninsula. That, that, the name Sinai might stick out to you. Mount Horeb is just another name for Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai as in the Mount Sinai that God called uh, Moses at when he showed up in the burning bush. Mount Sinai as, as in that mountain where, uh, where Moses led the people after they escaped the Egyptians. Mount Sinai where he received the Ten Commandments, where he talked with God, where, where God even let him see his back, where he passed by in front of, of Moses and, and Moses got to see God's back. Elijah knew those stories. He was a prophet of God. He, he knew the, the written scriptures. So a question to ask then would be, why is Elijah going there? God didn't tell him to go there. No one told him to go there. He just leaves Beersheba and he goes down to Mount Horeb. Could it be that he's remembering what Moses experienced there? That God talked to Moses there. That, that God passed by in front of Moses there. Maybe he's even remembering that specific instance, that, that maybe he'd just get a chance to see God, and, and then that would give him the jolt that he needed to, to go on with things again. Either way, it seems like Elijah shows up here, and he's searching. And Mount Horeb, it didn't disappoint <laughs> God shows up there. God shows up there and causes these, these great miraculous things to happen. Wind that's so, that blows so hard that the rocks are about to break apart. An earthquake, fire, all of these things happen. And, but you notice what the text said. God wasn't in those things. He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. Now before we get to the, to the next part, we, we should make sure to say that that doesn't mean that God never shows up that way, right? How did God show up at the end of Job or at Pentecost? As wind. How did God show up to Moses when he called Moses? As fire. How did God show up to the Israelites when, he was on, when, when they came to Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb? As an earthquake. God can and has shown up in all of those different ways, but for Elijah, here, he showed up as a gentle whisper. You see, Elijah thought that he had God pegged. He thought he knew exactly how God would act. And he thought God would act in the manner that he did on Mount Carmel. And this great act of power when he sent 
fire from heaven to, to show everybody that he is the one true God. That's how Elijah expected God to act. And so when he had to, to flee from Jezebel, when he's sitting under the broom tree, when he's at, at Mount Horeb, he, he was expecting to God, God, a God to act in the Mount Carmel-type fashion. You see, he had put God in a box. He thought that he had his head wrapped around all of the, the ways that God should work. And so when God acted differently than he expected, he went from a high, high to a low, low. He was incredibly optimistic when he was on Mount Carmel, when God acted ex exactly as he expected him to act. But, but after that, when Jezebel was chasing him, God was still working, but he was working in a different way than, than Elijah expected him to act, and that was the depth of Elijah's despondency, uh, the depth of his, his pessimism. And so here's our takeaway. Don't put God in a box. Don't put God in a box. God can work in all kinds of ways, and he works in all kinds of ways for the good of those who love him. He sometimes shows up as, as wind. He sometimes shows up as earthquake. He sometimes shows up as, as fire. He sometimes shows up as, as a whisper. Don't limit God and what God can do. Don't put God in a box. But when God puts himself in a box, pay attention. Let me explain. God can certainly work in all kinds of ways. And he does. He works in all kinds of ways that are beyond our ability to perceive. But he has promised in his word that he will work through the word and the sacraments. Because he loves people so much, because he wants people to find him and know him, he tells you, this is where to find me. Find me in the word. Find me in the sacraments. You want to have faith? You want to be close to God? Find him there. Don't go running to the mountains like Elijah did or walking to the mountains like Elijah did. Don't search within yourself. Look within your own heart. Look for God where he has promised to be. Look for him in the whisper of his word. His word where he reveals the word made flesh. His word where he reveals Jesus. In Jesus, we see a God who loves us so much that he's willing to send his own son to die for us because that's how much you are worth to him. In Jesus, we see a God who has not forgotten about us or abandoned us. We see a God who is always attentive to us, who remembers us, who cares about us, and who saves us despite ourselves. Knowing God this way, it, it, it does not completely erase the, the low lows, but, but knowing God this way helps you through the low lows because you know that God is, is with you. You know that God will provide your needs, and you know that, that no matter where you are looking for God, that you will always find him in the whisper of his word because he is there for you in the highs and in the lows. Hey, Pastor Wilkie here. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. You know, in our digital age, it's really easy to share some of this content. You can share it with a friend simply by sending it to them. You can tell them about it. Uh, or you can simply like or subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. That helps more people see this uh, content and, and hear about Jesus and his love more often. We hope you join us again next week as we, we dig into God's word yet again.